So I uh, received a, the perfect gift this morning when I walked into my office as uh, we're talking about reconciliation. Check that hat out. <laughs> that not great? So for those of you who don't know me, I'm from Michigan, huge football fan, and there was a little game Thursday. Can we hear it for the Utes? Hear that? So, uh, so I, I just want everybody to know I was in all red on Thursday night, okay? <laughs> cheering for the Utes. But this is a, a great picture of what hap- how do you reconcile your heart, right, when you have two loves. Well, um, this morning, uh, you guys, this is a huge topic. And as I was studying this week, I feel like I came up with so much information uh, from the scripture that I'm going to go through with you today that I think it's the first time ever in almost 11-year history you actually have notes inside your program. So, um, because I believe you need to follow through really clearly, and I'm also excited so that you'll have this piece of paper with you, literally, that you can keep it in your Bible, you can put it somewhere where you won't forget. Because what we're talking about today with reconciliation, it is a big deal, okay? So if you didn't grab a program, and if you need one, our Connections team is ready to help you out. If anybody just wants to raise their hand real quick. there, uh, yeah, you guys got a couple people here. They'll find you and get you a program. Um, so I'm just going to jump right in. We don't have time to mess around. We're going to jump right in to talk about reconciliation. Now, here's the deal. Uh, we know that reconciliation is really important when we think about our relationships. <clears throat> we are powerfully alienated people today. There is brokenness all around us. And we know what it is to be broken in our marriages. We know what it is to be broken with our children, to have uh, conflict and separation at your workplace right here in the church. And the world itself is torn by strife. Um, Relationships, once they're broken, okay, once they are destroyed, they can't be repaired unless something changes. Right? Something has to change. And I just want to give you some hope today. By the way, we are delivering fantastic news today. This is, anybody want some good news today? Okay, ready for, ready for some good stuff and for some hope? This is the best news that we can share with you. Now let me tell you something. God, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, it says that he revealed the mystery of his will which he purposed in Christ. So if you want to know, what is, why did Jesus Christ come? What was the purpose of God in Christ? And he says it was to unite everything in heaven and on earth under Christ. Unity and oneness is the will of God. And therefore, you can know that when division is happening, it is the antithesis of what God wants. And so reconciliation is a really big big deal. Now this is interesting. The word in the original language, in the Greek language for reconciliation, means exchange. I didn't know, I didn't know that till, till this week when I was studying. And I thought, how appropriate, right? Because we're doing this whole, let's make a big deal, right? And when you make a big deal, when you play this game show, what are you doing? When you play let's make a deal, you are given something, you possess something, and then they say, would you like to trade that in? Would you like to make an exchange? for what's behind door number two. And you have to make a decision. Is what I possess now worth exchanging for what's behind the door? That's the whole game. 
And I want to tell you, man, when we talk about reconciliation today, that's exactly what God is going to offer us. Something you possess now, he's going to offer you something behind door number two. Now, what's cool, you guys, is this all starts with God. And what's interesting is I would say that the average person actually feels like they're pretty favorably disposed to God. I think the average person thinks, you know what, I'm a pretty good person. And now, if that's the case, if you're a pretty good person, then why would there need to be any reconciliation with God? In fact, I, I know some of you here today, you, I, I know a lot of people who are like very intrigued by K2 because we really do try to be very tactical and practical in our expression of God's love out into the community. In fact, we're going to talk about that next week because it is a big deal. But I know sometimes you go, oh, I get all that, and I love the fact that the church does that. But this whole Jesus, like on the cross thing, why, why, I don't, I don't, I don't get that. Well, see, here's the point. If you're, if you're good to go, then Jesus on the cross makes no point at all. And so there's no need for reconciliation. But I want to tell you, man, the Bible says the reconciliation is a big deal. In fact, it's the only reason Jesus came in the first place. All right? So here you go. Grab your pens, get out this paper, and get ready. And we're going to roll through this thing. Number one. Well, actually, let me just tell you where you guys can see it there. We're going to look at why is reconciliation needed. And then we're going to look at how reconciliation is accomplished. And then we're going to look at why K2 is so committed to it. Number one, why is reconciliation needed? Number one, it's because we live for ourselves. We live for ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, He died, meaning Christ died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. So apparently living for yourself is a big deal, Right? He had to actually die to set you free from living for yourself. Now, how many of you would say you live for yourself? Because really, all that means is when you're living for yourself, it means you are trumping love. Because when you actually love someone, you consider them more than yourself. The problem here is that every human being has this nature that's bent towards taking care of ourselves first. First. And so we love ourselves more than we love God and more than we love others. Now, we've been talking, made this very clear in this last series called Discover You. That God says that you were created in him, you're his idea, by him, you're only here because he placed you on this earth, and you were created what? For him. So if you're created for God, but you're living for yourselves, then that would be a problem. In fact, it's such a problem. Let me ask you guys a question. How many times a day do you live for yourself? Yeah, laugh harder, right? I mean, pretty much all day long, all you end up doing most of the time, if we're honest, is we live for ourselves. In James chapter 3, when it's talking about the difference between wisdom of heaven and the wisdom that's not of God, the wisdom not of God, you says, he says, it's selfish ambition and bitter envy. In fact, he says that selfish ambition is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So here's what you need to understand. When you live for yourself instead of for love, which is what God is, every time you do that, 
you live against God. Every time. And how many times you do that in a day? Reconciliation is a big deal because we live for ourselves. Number two, it's needed because we live in alignment with the world. We live in alignment with the world. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. And we're gonna talk way more about that here in just a minute. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do know so no longer. So, again, why is reconciliation needed? Because we often are in alignment with the world. Now, the world's view of Jesus, right, is not God's idea and his view of Jesus. What is God's view of Jesus? You can hear it in Philippians chapter three. God's view is that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's God's view of Jesus. But most of the world's view of Jesus is what? He was a good guy. He was a good teacher. He was very moral. He lived a good example that we should try to follow. But he is not someone who created me and that I owe my worship to, correct? So, we no longer have that view, but when you have that view, any other view than God's view that Jesus Christ is Lord means that you view him in a completely alienated way from God and his purpose in Christ. It's a big deal because it drives how you live. And that leads us to this next thing. Look at this, James 4, 4 says this. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now you might go, wait a second, aren't we supposed to love the world? Didn't write John 3, 16, for God so what? Love the world. Aren't we supposed to love the world? When it says God so loved the world, that means he loves every person on this planet, which you're gonna see here in just a second. When it says you're not supposed to be a friend of the world, the world is also used for a system, a way of living. In 1 John chapter two, here's the description of the world. He goes, everything in the world is in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What's the lust of the flesh? Basically, I put it like this. Whatever feels good, do it. Does that sound like our world? Okay, how many of you, you know, whatever it feels good, you do it. <laughs> okay, you bunch of liars. <laughs> Let's just move on. I don't even have to go there. Lust of the flesh, whatever feels good, do it. The lust of the eyes is whatever you want, get it. Does that sound like us? And then the pride of life is whatever you do, it's up to you. See, the pride of life is, I don't need God, I can do it. The problem with that is when you're good at doing it, you get proud, and then you're better than everybody else, which leads to division. If you're not very good at it, then you feel like a loser, and you live with shame your whole life. You guys, that's the way of the world. Can I ask you, how many times do you do something because it's gonna feel good for you? How many times do you spend everything that you've got so that you can get something more because you have the lust of the eyes? And how many times are you basing your life on your performance and judging everybody else based on their performance? How many times do you do that in a day? And every time you're a friend of the world, you are an enemy of God. Every time you live for yourself, you do it against God. 
And every time you live in the way of the world, you live against God. And I want to tell you, man, then you realize, I need to be reconciled. And then point number three, not only am I, do I need it, because I'm in my living for myself and in alignment with the world, number three is our lives are going to be judged. Look at this verse. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us, due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. I don't know about you, I read that verse and I go, shoot me now. How about you? Because I can't even imagine having to stand before a holy God and go through how many times I lived for myself and how many times I lived in alignment with the world, which was the complete antithesis of the way of God. So basically what this verse is saying is, on this judgment day, every mouth is gonna be shut and every excuse will be silenced and the whole world is gonna be guilty before God. And I wanna tell you, that's why reconciliation is a big deal. There's not a human being on this planet that's good to go with God. We sin against him all the time. That's number one. So number two, once you realize that you are guilty before a holy God, how is reconciliation accomplished? And this is so freaking awesome. Number one, reconciliation is accomplished by the will of God. By the will of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 18, 19. All of this, okay, look at these first five words. So he's talking about this whole reconciliation, these five words right here. All this is from God. What's that mean? Let's keep going. God reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling, say this with me, the world, I know, oh, that wasn't very good, let me try that better. God was reconciling who? The world to himself in Christ. Not counting men's sins against them. So you guys see this one? God reconciled us to him, God was reconciling the world to him. The whole reason there even is reconciliation is because it's God's desire. It is accomplished by his will. And here's what you need to understand. God gets to set the terms on reconciliation because he's not guilty, we're the only ones who are guilty, right? See, so when, when you have a reconciliation that needs to happen between two human beings, you both sit at the table, right? Because you always know, You've done something wrong, and I've done something wrong, and now we've got to figure out the terms of how we're going to reconcile. Well, we don't get to sit at the table and go, well, God, you really blew it here. God's never blown it. We're the only ones who blow it all the time. So he actually gets to set the terms, and here's what's crazy. His terms are, I'm going to do everything. You're the one who screwed up. You're the one who sins against me. You blaspheme me, you reject me, you do everything I don't want you to do, let's reconcile. Isn't that amazing? Guys, this is the greatest news in all the world. Throughout the history of humanity, every religion that's ever been studied, that's known of, 
There's never been a God who's been the reconciler. God is always the one demanding that you do enough so that he'll finally accept you. But the God that Jesus Christ revealed to us is the one who says, no, I am flawless, I am holy, you have constantly rejected me, and yet I'm gonna initiate reconciliation with you. That's unbelievable. That's an amazing God. And that's why he's called God our Savior over and over again. It's accomplished by the will of God. Number two, reconciliation is accomplished through forgiveness. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Look at this. Not counting people's sins against them. You guys, the only way that God can be reconciled with sinners is that he can no longer consider our sins. God must treat us as if we've never sinned. He has to forgive us completely. I was talking with a friend a few weeks ago, and I was just asking him, I go, how did your journey begin with Jesus? How did, how did your faith journey begin? He said, I walked into a church one day, the pastor started off his message, and he held up the Bible, and he says, I've got good news for you. Every sin you've ever committed is forgiven. Is that not good news? Anybody got a couple of those? <laughs> that needs to be forgiven. But here's the important one, number three. Reconciliation is accomplished through substitution. How does God forgive us? You guys, if we put up, can you put up real quick uh, 519 again for me? If you look at this verse, it says God was reconciling who? Again, say this with me, who? The world, and the reason I'm gonna keep hitting this one is if it's the whole world that's been reconciled, that means you. He's reconciled you to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins, what? Against them. So God, because of Jesus Christ, he doesn't count your sins against you. Why? Because he counts them against Christ. Reconciliation happens through substitution, and here's how we know. Look at this verse, chapter five, verse 21. It says that God made Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What? Can I just tell you, by the way, what I'm gonna share with you in the next, this, this one point for the next five minutes or so, the Bible says that this news right here is foolishness to many people. This is like, wait, this makes no sense. And yet for those who are being saved, it is the glory of God. Here's the glory of God, you guys. This is the exchange, man. Behind door number two is Jesus who had no sin. And here you are with all of your sin. And he's going, I'd love to reconcile with you. I'd love to make an exchange. Your sin for Jesus' righteousness. This is so cool, because here's the point. How can God be just and merciful at the same time? This is a really important question. Because if God's just, like if let's say there was a, a judge uh, today in a horrific case, everybody knew he was guilty, comes in front of the judge, and the judge just dismisses all this horrific crime that's been taking place. They're not gonna be a judge for very long. 
Because a judge needs to be just. Well, if you have all this sin, and God needs to judge your sin, or else he wouldn't be just, then how can he also be merciful at the same time? And the answer's right here. This is the good news. Now, let me, let me share with you an illustration that I heard. That I wasn't going to do this, but I, I think it really worked for a service. It's a story, and it's a story about an Indian chief. And this Indian chief was so well-respected. Everyone in the tribe, they loved him. He was fair, he was righteous, and he was just, but he was merciful. And then one day, some stuff started to be stolen. Guys were coming to him saying, hey, stuff's been taken right out of our teepee. Over and over again, this was happening. So finally, one morning, he wakes up, and the culprit was found. And it's his mom. So these two warriors grab this elderly woman, and they drag her in front of him. And they say, we found the person who's been stealing, and it's your mom. So the whole tribe was looking at the chief, and they're going, what's he going to do? Because he loves his mom. He would give up his life for his mom. There's no one more precious to him than his mom. But he's so just. He's always been able to stand up for what's right, and he punishes things that are wrong. What's he going to do? So the chief tells the two warriors, and he says, there's the post, chain up my mother around the post. And so they do, the, wrap her arms around, and she's laying there like this, and then he says, okay, grab the whip. And one of the guys grabs the whip, and right before he begins to deliver the punishment, the chief goes, hold on. And then he takes off his outer cloak, bears his back, wraps himself around his mom, and then he says, okay, administer the justice. That is what Jesus came to do for you. That's what he did. He came not to condemn you, to save you, to absorb in himself the punishment for your sin so that you never have to experience and the answer is this verse, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, you guys, God treated Jesus as if he had lived your life. God treated Jesus as if he had personally committed every sin throughout her history. And that's why when Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, he was forsaking him. But what was he really forsaking? Your sin. The punishment for us was put on Christ. But not only that, in him, we become the righteousness of God. And this is how reconciliation happens. This is how forgiveness happens. This is the exchange. See, there, you guys, there was nobody else but Jesus who lived a perfect life. And this is why only Jesus Christ can be our savior. Because if Jesus had sin in himself, then when he stood up there and he got punished, he should, right? Because he's getting punished for his sin. But since he didn't have any sin, his righteousness can now be credited to you. This is amazing and beautiful. Listen to this. On the cross, God treats Jesus as if he lived my life. And now he treats me 
as if I lived Jesus' life. The hand of judgment that should have fell on me fell on Jesus, and the hand of blessing and mercy and acceptance and love is mine. Jesus wasn't a sinner, but he was treated as if he was. And I'm not righteous, but I'm treated as if I am. Is there any greater news in all the world? You know, you can then, you should. I can tell you this right now. <laughs> That's why every knee's gonna bow and we're all gonna fall on our face before Jesus because we're gonna be like, oh my. I can't even say the words. I don't even know what, but we're just, it's gonna be amazing. Romans 8, 1, you can write this one down, says, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You guys, reconciliation, this exchange is a big deal. Do you want to live with your sin and receive the punishment? Do it. Or do you want to give it into Christ? Receive his righteousness and stand before a holy God without blemish and without accusation. Reconciliation. Is it is a hello? God wants to say something. <laughs> it's a big deal. So here's a the question then. How do I become in Christ? Because if reconciliation is God's by his will, through forgiveness, by substitution, here's the last one. Reconciliation is accomplished by faith. So in 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, the word means we beg you, we urge you, be reconciled to God. Now, why do we have to do that? If God does everything, why do we have to implore and beg people to be reconciled to God? And here's the deal. God is the reconciler, but not apart from your response. And you guys know this is true, right? Because I'm sure every one of you in this room has been in a relationship where you, let's say, where you totally forgive somebody, right? But for, and you can, for, you can forgive another human being and never be reconciled to them. Do you guys know that's possible? It's very possible. Because here's the point. In a human relationship, we know this. There can only be reconciliation if both parties want it. I've done that before. I have completely offered forgiveness to somebody else, but they don't want a relationship with me, so they don't accept my forgiveness. You guys know any, has that ever happened to you? God is the reconciler. He's already accomplished this in Christ. But for some reason, we have to beg people and urge people, be reconciled to God. You have to actually give a response. And if you don't respond by faith to receive this, then the reconciliation never happens. There has to be a point where you confess your sin and you repent of your sin and you give it over here and you say, yes, Jesus, I totally live apart from you and I confess that to you and I turn that fancy religious word, repent, which sounds, I know people like, hate that word. All it means is I was living apart from God, alienated from him, and now I'm turning towards him. And when that happens, then Christ's righteousness 
is yours. Can I ask you a question? Do you have Christ's righteousness? Or are you still betting that you're good enough before a holy God? For me, that was an easy one. I know I don't have a shot with how much I sin against God. So, it is necessary to confess and repent. And I just want to tell you, I think this is why we don't do it. Because when you repent, what you're doing is you're repenting from your sin. But what sin? At its core is sin is when you live for yourself. And the reason we don't want to do that is because I don't want to lose myself. See, because when you turn away from being in control of your life and doing what you want and actually turn towards God, that's the end of you. How many people want that? I'm going to tell you right now. This is the hardest decision a human being will ever make because we're sinful at our core, which means I want to run my life and I do not want to trust God. But what Jesus said is, as soon as you turn to me, yeah, you lose your life and then you find it. For the first time, you're finally free from the stuff that's been keeping you from God and keeping you from being able to love each other. Reconciliation happens by faith, you guys. You don't work for it. You don't try to be good. You don't go to church. You don't, okay, God, I'll be a better person. No, you confess, I'm not good at all. And now I want you. And that's why Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is so classic. It is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by works so no one can boast. So before I go to point number three, for some of you today, your application, what do you do with what you heard today? I've been praying, and I'm hoping that maybe some of you today would come to the realization, I am at enmity with God. I live for myself, and I live in alignment with this world, and every time I do, I have been an offense to God. But now I get it. Reconciliation can happen. And I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior to take my sin from me and give me his righteousness. And later today, we'll give you a chance to say, yes, I'm going to do that. All right? So now let's bust through, chapter, through point three. Why is K2 so committed to this? Can I, I'll just tell you, first of all, it's the only reason we even exist as a church. The only reason we moved from Michigan to come out here to Salt Lake City is because God, there were people that he wanted reconciled to himself. And that's why we're here every Sunday, to let you know that it can. And it's the greatest news in all the world. Let me just go really quick. Number one, why is K2 committed reconciliation? Because we're moved by his love. We're moved by Christ's love. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, Christ's love compels us. Man, you guys, when you've been forgiven freely and you didn't do anything to deserve it, when you've received mercy and grace and freedom and acceptance and hope, all you want to do is go, I want everybody else to get that too. His love moves us. Number two, we're moved by Christ's death. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, He died for all, 
that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Personally, I'm moved by Christ's death for me, and I'm moved by Christ's death for all. First of all, if you're a Christian in here, okay, so these next five points are all just for those of you guys who are Christians in here. When you're a Christian, you're moved by his death because when you got baptized, right, the whole baptism thing, Romans 6, write this verse down, look at it later, Romans 6, 1 through 7, says that you were baptized into his death, which means I've died to sin, which means I don't live for me anymore. See, he set me free from being about myself. So I'm moved by his death because his death set me free from my selfishness. That's what it does. It sets you free from sin. But secondly, man, look at this verse. Again, 5.15. I mean, you guys, let's just say these five words again for me real quick. And he died for all. That moves me. That means there's not a human being in this room. There's not one, anybody in your workplace, in your neighborhood. No person will you ever see that Jesus Christ hasn't died for. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And that moves us. And so what that does for me, guys, this is how I kind of view it, is when Jesus Christ died on the cross, everybody's prison door opened. Everybody. Well, I was a slave to sin. I couldn't help but live for myself. But when Jesus died, he goes, I'm going to pay the ransom for everybody on this planet. And I don't care who anybody is, your prison door is open. Jesus has already died for all. The world has been reconciled to Christ. But, this, but the point is, they just don't know it yet. They don't know that's why Jesus came. And this is the third one, removed by Christ's view. Now let me just say, this one here, has profoundly changed me this year. Just understanding this verse. It says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. What does that mean? You guys, what it means is, I can't look at another person the same way I used to. Once I really understand this good news of Jesus, I can't look at another human being in a worldly point of view. And you know what a worldly point of view is? The way of the world is you perform. And if you perform a certain way, then I'll love you. But if you don't perform, then I'm going to back off. The worldly view says, if you do good things, you'll get my blessings. But if you do bad things, I'm going to pull my blessings away from you. The worldly view is, if you're like me, then we'll hang out and I'll accept you. But if you're not like me, then I'll reject you. The world says, if you do what I want and what I need, then we're good to go. This is so marriage here. But when you don't do it the way that I want and that I need, what do we do, guys? You pull your love away. The way of the world is always about performance and judgment. And we judge each other all the time because you didn't meet the standard. And if I look at you saying you must do it this way or good enough for me to accept you and to love you, I'm looking at you through the eyes of the way of the world. And Jesus looks at every human being as someone who was completely in sin, 
as someone he completely loves, as someone who's received grace. And I want to tell you what, when you start seeing the world the way Jesus sees the world, you want to love them. You want them to experience the same mercy and forgiveness that you've received. And it changes how you live. That's why K2 is so committed to reconciliation, because we have a different view of people. Okay? Number four, we're moved by Christ's call. And I'm going to just go through these real quick. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry. And then look at this. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. So you guys, all of you guys who are Christians, you just need to know it said us, right? If you're a follower of Christ and you've received grace and mercy and forgiveness, if you've been reconciled to God, every one of us has been committed to say, get out there and tell everybody. Not just pastors. He didn't say, God committed to Dave. The message of reconciliation. Uh-uh. I don't know your friends. I don't know your coworkers. I don't know your neighbors. God wants to give, he's given you a call and he's commissioned you. You cannot walk out of here without understanding. The only way this is going to happen, you guys, is through the church. Now, let me go through these last five, the last three real quickly. We're moved by a new identity. Number one, we're a new creation. 517, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old is gone and the new is here. The old is gone. You guys, we've talked about this. Once you receive Christ, his spirit comes inside of you. You are one in spirit with Jesus. You're born of his spirit. You're new, which means I don't live for myself anymore. Jesus is inside of me. And here's the point. Jesus loves the world. So if he's in me and my spirit's united with him, my new identity as a new creation is I don't live for me. I don't love me. I love him, which means I love the world. Okay, that's what you are. Number two, you are an ambassador. Therefore, Christ's ambassador, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal to us. If you're a Christian in here this room, did you know you're an ambassador? What's an ambassador? It's someone who speaks, is the mouthpiece, who represents and speaks for another government. You're actually the mouthpiece for the king, which means you never have a personal opinion, right? The, 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 like you imagine an ambassador going to another country and say, well, this is what I think. That's not, that's not what they do. They share what the president or the ruler wants shared. I do want to say one really important thing about this. If you're an ambassador, that means you live where? You live in a foreign country. Ambassadors don't live at home. They live in a foreign country. If you're a Christian, the Bible is so clear. This world is not your home. Your citizenship is actually in heaven. And when this is done, you're going home. Now, here's what's interesting. An ambassador never goes to another country, which is a completely different culture, and try to change the culture. Do they? That's not their job. That's not what they were mandated to do. They were given a mandate to represent the king. And I just want to say something really quickly here to Christians. We have to be so careful of the deadly danger of moralism. And what I mean by that is this. 
Sometimes we want to try to change the culture instead of declaring the message of reconciliation. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean there's a way we're supposed to live. God says you're supposed to live in the world, but not of it. But an ambassador doesn't try to change the culture. The ambassador brings the message. And here's what can happen. If we think our job is to change everything, everybody else's moral compass, then you become hostile toward the people that you disagree with. And you can turn the mission field into your enemy. And you can become unkind to the very people that you're supposed to reach with the gospel. Anybody know anybody like that? Okay, now some of you are going, oh, what are you saying, Nelson? I'm saying this, that if you and I would share the good news of you are in sin, you've offended a holy God, and he sent Jesus to forgive your sin and to give you a new heart, guess what will happen? The culture will change. But it's not about trying to be a good person. Right? Right? Come on, Christians. The message is, I'm not trying to be good. I confessed I wasn't, and I got saved, and now he's making me good. That's the message. So you don't go to everybody else and demand that they be good without the spirit of Jesus inside of them. You guys following this? Be an ambassador of the message, and then watch the culture change because people's hearts have changed. Last one, we're co-laborers. 2 Corinthians 6 says this, As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For God says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor, and now is the day of salvation. We're co-workers. So that means for me, I never do, I never try to give the message of reconciliation by myself. I never do it alone. But here's what you need to understand. God doesn't either. The way God gets his message out is through every one of you who've already received reconciliation. It does not happen unless you and I are his co-laborer. So in Romans 10, 13 through 15, you can write that one down. It says this, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they be call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how can anyone go and tell them without being sent? And that's when the scripture means when it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. No one can be saved unless they hear the message. And no one will hear it unless you're out there saying it. And it's, you guys get this? Isn't this a great message? It's not a condemning message. It's not a I'm better than you message. It's I'm worse than you. And he saved me. He can save you too. It's a total message of mercy and grace. You do it with gentleness and respect. So, Christian, can I just give you three quick applications? First one is this. Peter says this. Always be prepared to give the reason for the hope that you have and do it with gentleness and respect. One of the best ways you can be prepared is if somebody asks you, like, why are you a Christian? Could you tell them your story? One of the best things you could do is learn how to tell your story. And I always say, you need to be able to do it like an elevator speech. You need to do it like you got 30 seconds. <laughs> can you tell your story like in 30 seconds? 
Can I give you a quick outline? What was my life like before Jesus? How did I come to put my faith in Jesus? And what's my life like now after Jesus? Bam, bam, bam. You can tell somebody that in less than a minute. Prepare yourself to share your story. Because here's what I know. Everybody respects a story. It's your story. They can't take it away from you. Second thing is this little book here. It's called Base Camp. Susan and I, we wrote this a couple years ago. And uh, this right here, we do have a class. We always offer Base Camp here. But really, the purpose of this was for you to have this so that you could go to a coffee shop with a friend or a coworker and just, it's so simple. It's so easy to understand. We put a bunch of them at the new to K2 sign. Go grab one today and just walk through this with a friend. My favorite thing, man, go to Fiddler's Elbow, hang out at the bar and walk somebody through Jesus. Awesome. And then the last one is just pray. Just pray like crazy. Pray that God will speak to the hearts of the people you love and help them to see you're a sinner just like everybody else. But I've already set you free. Your prison door is wide open. Just come on out. Just trust me. Make the exchange. So as the band comes forward, here's what we're going to do. Is we're going to give every single one of you a chance to experience the exchange. Reconciliation. You know, um, we're going to take communion together. There's one a table right there. There's a table right here. There's one right there in the middle. There's two in the back. And what Jesus said is, he goes, listen, guys, I want you to remember me. I want you to take bread, and I want you to, as it represents my body, and I want you to remember, I gave you my life. I gave you my life so I could receive your life. I want to reconcile with you. In my body, I exchange, I took all your sin into my body, and in return, I made you like me, completely clean. It's unbelievable. So take the bread, and then you dip it in the cup, and he said, this cup is my cup of the new covenant. My blood shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sin. So when you take that and you dip it in, you remember, it's like, I have made the exchange. He who had no sin became sin for me so that I could become the righteousness of God. And take it and celebrate what he's done for you. And I just want to say, for all of you in here, if you've never made a decision to put your faith in Christ, and today is the day when you want to receive his forgiveness, our prayer team will be right over here on the side, and we would love just to pray with you. If you want to come to us and say, I want to receive Christ, we'll pray with you, and you can know that on this day, you have been reconciled to God. I urge you. I implore you, I beg you, as Christ's ambassador, be reconciled to God. Let's stand and let's worship him in communion and song.